Hello and welcome to the WCW vs. NWO podcast, a podcast that analyzes, dissects, and Vader bombs one of the most important eras of wrestling history. I'm your host Dave, and today we will be doing something a little different. We're going to look at some of the best matches of WCW, WWF, and Japanese wrestling legend Big Van Vader. I couldn't take this super heavyweight challenge on alone, so with me, as always, from Ireland, Fergus Looney. How are you doing, Gus? Good, good. Looking forward to uh, expounding about how awesome this wrestler was. Very, very underrated, I think, particularly given how long it's been since he is in the spotlight. Yeah, for sure. One of my favorites of all time. Still, a challenge is a little bit bigger than a two-man job. All the way from across the pond, Connor, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. This was actually a lot of fun to prepare for. And yeah, it's really sad that Leon, unfortunately, had to pass away at, what was it, 61? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, really unfortunate. I, I didn't realize how much of his body of work was re- made a real huge impact on me growing up as a wrestling fan. And it was a lot of fun watching out and just reminiscing of his body of work. So what, what do you guys like really remember about him in, in, in the kind of time period we're going over on this podcast? Sadly for me, it's Boy Meets World. I know. (laughs) (laughs) The show was terrible, but back in those days, you were forced to watch the mediocre shows that would lead into actual good shows. And that was definitely one of them. I'm sure I had a crush on Topanga or something like that. Yeah, I was about to say, like, surely you just watched it for Topanga. Uh, Probably. I forgot forgot that was her name. How How can you forget that 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 name? name is ridiculous. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It, it, is, it is funny because people remember him for that and his uh, appearance on Baywatch. But he was a cross-platform star in that way. I know there's small cameos, but people who didn't see wrestling knew Vader, knew Vader's face. Yeah, he was decent too because when you watch a lot of the other... I mean, even as a kid, I knew Hogan was terrible as an actor. I knew his movies were like the worst thing in the world. But watching Vader on Boy Meets World, I, I think part of it too is just it was so ridiculous, but it was still somewhat believable with... Uh, his son, uh, I, I can't remember the actor's name, but I've always been a fan of his work, his role in American History X and Ball Rats, a couple of my favorite yeah. movies from the mid 90s. And uh, I don't think he does acting anymore, really, but I, I've, I've always liked that actor as well. Yeah, those are actually great episodes. <laughs> I, I, I had forgotten about them until we had done the research for the show. But how about you, Fergus? How do you remember uh, the big Van Vader? I think it's mainly like a mid 90s. So he's probably in WWF at the time. So it's a very limited look, mostly, at his career. I think it's fair to say the majority of his stuff is earlier. But it's always the look. You can picture him. It doesn't doesn't matter how many times you've seen this guy wrestle. You know exactly what he looks like. You kind of know some of the mannerisms. Yeah, it just makes an impact every single time he appeared. Because I can remember like when they introduced him, he immediately got suspended, from what I remember, on Raw, yeah. like Gorilla Monsoon. And he just like obliterated people. This dude is here to fuck people up, like so. I'm gl- yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that because one of the lasting memories of when I started watching wrestling, my friend that would you know rent the WrestleMania 12 tape or whatever the the hour Iron Man match was. I think that was it's 12, 12 yeah. Yeah, I, I watched the shit out of that one. <laughs> yep, there you go. And then one of the Raws, like near that WrestleMania, Vader breaks Yokozuna's leg. And he's like, you, you have to watch this. He breaks Yokozuna's leg and they have to carry him on a forklift. I was like, that wrestling sounds awesome. I'm, I can get into this. So that moment, for some reason, is stuck in my head. I had to look back. I'm like, did this moment exist or am I just fabricating from my memory of being a child? And no, that did happen on Raw. So it was just. Yeah, cool. that was the build up for their tag match, right? So. It was him and Davy Boy, Smith, with Davey Boy, right? 
and then it's yeah. Owen and Yoko. Yeah, yeah see, I, I don't remember angles. It's just that moment. And, yeah. and that's what, really what I remember of Vader at this time. It's just kind of fleeting moments. I remember his finisher. I always loved the Vader bomb because like compared yeah. to other like big man in the business, I always found his finisher to be, I don't know, much more believable. It seemed more brutal. Yeah, all of his signature moves and finishes have kind of stood the test of time where a lot of big men's haven't. And you can still see their effect today to people like Killian Dane and WWE still using a lot of Vader's moveset. I remember him a lot because of how he looked. I think I'm the same as uh, Gus there. But I remember him from how he looked from a few fleeting experiences. But the stories I've heard from him in Mick Foley's autobiographies really turned me onto his body of work, made me more interested and watched uh, a bit of his stuff. Made him one like of my it. favorite wrestlers. Hear about he was absolutely ruining people physically. Like, <laughs> that's what I want I, to know about. <laughs> yeah. Mick just spoke so highly of him and I, I thought so highly of Mick at the time. I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll give him a go. And uh, I wasn't disappointed. Yeah. And, <laughs> I mean, we there's one thing that we have to talk about. That's probably the most memorable though. It's the vintage Jim Johnston theme. I mean... It's time. I mean, that's for a while when people would go, it's time. I'm like, Vader time? No. <laughs> yeah. I, I I still, anytime I see it like on a t-shirt or something, like the words it's time or like on a sign, I'll always message it to someone. I'll cut off the next bit of the sentence and put Vader time underneath it. It's still just locked into my head. It's just so refreshing to listen to old, good old Jim Johnston theme songs. He, he was the best. It was this time in wrestling too. It was like wrestling themes. It's like, it's like two riffs. It's just like two sections and it just like repeats music nowadays. They're actual just like, they're just awesome songs, songs yeah. but they're like, they're songs though. They're not like custom themes. It feels like. So I, I thought like his theme in particular, like it's a custom theme. It, it hooks you right, right away. I just thought like, that's like my favorite part of like wrestling at this time. Yeah. It's recognizable. That's the important bit. There's a period there. They seem to be getting slightly better at it, but I think it was like, Seth Rollins's, Dean Ambrose's, and there was definitely one other guy anyway. And <laughs> Not Roman. <laughs> I, I probably, yeah, it wasn't Roman because Roman had the good one. Uh, and you probably couldn't tell the difference between it. If you just said people like, and you're like, they're just playing the same song, right? And you're like, no. Kevin Owens, is, I think, was the other one. Like, literally couldn't tell you which one of them was coming to the ring when I was watching. Yeah. So it's it's good with Jim's because Jim would actually think about their character before he makes something. Whereas a lot of this lately seems to be very like a random new metal band or a hardcore <laughs> band these days and just slap it on. Oh, it's just glorious hearing the little bit of synth in the, uh, there as well. I'm like, oh yeah, yeah. The mid new generation WWF. <laughs> yeah. Just doing research for this episode brought a lot of nostalgic feelings back. Just hearing different commentators, which we'll get into. It was just, it was a lot of fun watching some of these matches. Yep. Some decent commentating teams for sure, actually. Uh, yeah, really good. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but before we delve into the three Vader matches we've chosen to watch in honor of the great, uh, late great Leon White, uh, I'm going to tell you a bit of his uh, backstory, a bit of uh, his accomplishments through his career that we mightn't necessarily cover in our matches. The man didn't only excel at wrestling, but he was also a drafted football player playing O-line, in 1978, he was drafted 80th pick overall, third round by the LA Rams. His career was very short, as he had to retire due to a ruptured patella. But he was on their Super Bowl losing run roster, though there's arguments whether he got to play in the actual Super Bowl. Uh, reports, official reports say no, but there's anecdotal stuff that says he got on for a few snaps. He started his wrestling career in 1985, trained by Brad Reingans and the AWA. 
He got his first taste of gold in CWA in Germany, winning the heavyweight championship there three times and their intercontinental title once. Vader would go on to be a huge star in Japan, being the first Gaijin to hold the IWGP heavyweight title in New Japan. He would go on to win that a further two times along with the IWPG tag team titles alongside Bam Bam Bigelow as Big, Bad, and the Dangerous. That sounds like a wonderful tag team, by the way. Who would, have loved who would ever to want to wrestle those two lads? <laughs> <laughs> in 1989, uh, a cool fact, Vader, for a couple weeks, three weeks I think to be exact, held three titles in three different continents. He held the IWGP heavyweight title in Japan, the CWA world title in Germany, and the UWA world heavyweight title in Mexico. Huge year for Vader and just a rising star. Vader would wrestle in WCW part-time in his first run between 1990 and 1991. When he signed for them full-time, he was pushed pretty heavily, winning the world title uh, three different occasions, feuding with the likes of Sting, Flair, Davey Boy Smith, and Cactus Jack. In 1993, Vader was named Wrestling Observer's Reader's Wrestler of the Year. He's the only 300-plus pound person to win this. The Observer usually favors a lot smaller technical guys, Jericho, Benoit being notable people. He would win the US title too before being let go in 1995 for an altercation with Paul Orndorff, which there are a million different stories about no one quite knows (laughs) what went down. Vader would get his WWF run from 1996 to 1997, where all in all, he didn't hit the same heights he did around the rest of the world, not winning any titles at all during this run. After this, Vader's career would start to wind down. He would have a bit more success in Japan, winning the Triple Crown in All Japan and the Tag Team Championships with two cold Scorpio and Noah. The rest of his career would be mainly spent on the indie circuits up until his untimely death. So, pretty illustrious. I love the Three Continent Tree belt fact. That was one of my favorite things to come, uh, kind of come up after his death. I like, I like the, the, the trivia going for this. Like, who are his two, the two most random tag team partners you can think of yeah. for him? Two called Scorpio <laughs> and Bam Bam Bigelow. Yeah, it's a great team. So he really didn't win any titles in the WWF? Like, no tag team title, yeah, he, title reign either? No, nothing. He really? he was, wow. uh, him and Cactus Jack teamed up and were uh, went for the tag team championships but lost. Yeah. That sounds about right, yeah. He is one of the, there's like a handful of wrestlers, one of those stupid questions, who, who's the best wrestler to never hold a title in WBF, and he's up there. It's really cool to see how long of a career he had. I'm, I'm, I wish I could have seen a lot of his, more of his earlier stuff, because I've seen flaming footage of him doing like cartwheels and all these like acrobatic things. And man, his early stuff looked, he looked like he was in great shape. The question of his weight and how good of shape he is, of course, we'll have to talk about that eventually, though. Yeah, I, I love his early stuff. I also love that he's, you know, there's a lot of guys that they're football players and they end up going over to wrestling because they can't, they don't succeed at football or they can't, just like his injury. And they seem a bit half-hearted. They know it's for money. <coughs> Brock Lesnar. <coughs> but Vader completely immersed himself in this business and I wouldn't have known that he was recommended by a friend to go into the business. He was recommended by an old high school football friend to go into the business after his injury. Yeah, I would have never known. Like just guys like Stone Cold, the way they talk about him, it just he just seems like a typical wrestler. Even when you just look at the guy, this guy looks like he was born as a wrestler. Yeah, 100%. like if if somebody told you that he had just gone straight into it, I, I don't think anyone would would try and dispute you on it. 
nobody really talked about his football career either. I, di- I didn't know about it until this podcast. Yeah, actually. not that it, he was like particularly noteworthy or anything because he destroyed his legs in the process, but it's still a thing. Like, it's not easy to get drafted into the NFL, so. Yeah, again, a lot of, wrestler, a lot of wrestlers that played football, they don't really have success or they have like high school success. He was a second string All-American in high school at center. You know, he was on a Super Bowl playing team. If it wasn't for injury, he might have been their second string center or, you know, in rotation on the O-line. It's only his second or third year. And then he has to retire. Like He retires during his rookie years when he was already getting rotation. There's a good chance he becomes just a big time football yeah. player. And with the way he throws people around the ring in a couple of the matches we're going to mention, <laughs> he looked like the athlete for it. So we're going to take these matches in chronological order. And first one, and one of his probably most famous rivalries, we're going to go to WCW. 1992, Starcade, the Big Van Vader versus Sting. Now, this pay-per-view is actually quite good, but is kind of interesting in the fact that all the men end up wrestling multiple times because of tournament structures that are going on. But this is the final round of the King of the Cable tournament that's been going on on TV. Uh, Vader had to beat Tony Atlas and Dustin Rhodes to get to the final, where Sting beat Pillman and Rick Rude. Pretty decent-sounding tournament. Uh, I think they end up wrestling three times each. Over, uh, yeah, they, yeah, they're in the main event. They all have a tag match for the lethal lottery, lottery. to get into the main event, and, then and they have this singles match, yeah. So, even going into this match, you see Sting's face paint already like worn out a bit from this being pay, in matches. This pay per view sounds bizarre, by the way. I, I'm not sure it's actually that good. It has just a bunch of decent wrestlers on it, but they have to wrestle multiple times, and they have the battle bowl. Battle Royal right after this. Game. After this, yeah. It's, yeah. it's <laughs> madness. Like, I don't know. Like, because at the time they had tons and tons of people on the roster. Like, it's just Bill Watts being weird. Bill Watts. To say the yeah, least. Like, Bill Watts being Bill Watts. Also, it's one of the worst sounding t- tournament names I've ever heard. King of the Cable. Like, what? <laughs> like, I get it, but I'm sure lots of people didn't. They were like, what? Is he King of Cable TV or. Dave, this is not a rib or anything. I'm not trying to poke fun at you, but why did you actually pick this match? Because I've I've heard recommendations of oh maybe it's flare matches or is McFoley matches. So why why in particular did you want to choose this one? I think and most of the matches we've chose here kind of show his strength, and that's him against and the flare match shows that a bit as well. But it's him against a valiant babyface, and we're gonna go over it in the match, but it really shows how good he is for selling at a big guy, how athletic he is, how much he can keep up, and the kind of very structure of the matches he has over his career that never gets old and always tells a story. I also just think his feud in general with Sting, or his loose feud, he just wrestles him a bunch, and of it, a lot of it isn't a feud. They're just good matches, so they keep throwing them together. Are fantastic. I think it might be better than his flair match, but that is, uh, that's hard to tell. I don't think I'd be in the majority there. Yeah, it's it's tough. Both are great matches. I actually checked out the the flare match because I was having so much fun watching Vader matches. And yeah, I, pr- I might like this match a little bit more. I do like the story of the flare match. So if if you're really into a Vader kind of binge, I would check out the his match with Flair just a year after this. Yeah, we'll talk about this a bit later on the show. But I think he might be the best or second best storytelling big guy of all time, which yep. I think is kind of interesting. Oh, let's say. Strong, strong words. It, it is. Uh, he, there's a lot of good company up there, but we, we can talk about that a bit at the end of yeah, the episode. Yeah. We get Vader out with pretty generic music, I think, but we get him out with one of the best managers of all time, Mr. Hurley Race. I loved this pairing. Just what are they? Well, they're both really tough and they like to hit people for real. 
fantastic. Yeah, they they really capitalized it on the, the Flair match again. That was another sweet dynamic because obviously Flair and him had like legendary matches in WCW. So that was a kind of a cool subplot in in that match. This pairing is really cool to me compared to uh, who he is paired with in the WWF. I, th- I thought this pairing was great. Oh yeah, not not enjoying who he's paired with in WWF for sure. Yeah, it's a very very different style. Yeah. All right. Uh, I like uh, we have <laughs> Jr. and Jesse Ventura for. Uh, oh for commentary here so good yeah i thought they were yeah. great i yeah. like every little thing that jr picks up so vader starts celebrating with the big old trophy that's in the ring for king of the cable and jr straight away oh that's so heavy he's picking up with one arm just little things like that yeah, yeah. same thing with ventura I, I he's one of my favorite heel commentators going back i mean i never got to watch him growing up so i, I never I was like, oh, he's a commentator? That's kind of weird because it's looking back at it when back in the day, it was like, oh, this guy's a governor. So like, he was a wrestler and a commentator. This this guy seems like has a storied career. But yeah, yeah, going back and watching all these matches that he's commentated, he's one of my favorite heel commentators. Obviously, Bobby's great, but I, I think I prefer Ventura, actually. He's so consistent. Like He doesn't lose what kind of sense he's going for throughout this match, and I'm sure in, in others, too. Like he's decided what he's going to back on. He just kind of follows it on throughout the entire match. I think it's just the sound and quality of his voice as well. It's very gruffy. It, so- it sounds mean. It's- it sounds like a perfect heel commentator type of voice. Yeah, it's very clear though as well. He doesn't mince words and he doesn't make any sort of meal about it. It's like, I'm going to say this and you're just going to have to deal with it. <laughs> yeah, completely agree. So the match follows a pretty typical Vader kind of formula. Early on, he is unstoppable, but he's also super disrespectful. He's, like, wiping off some of Sting's face paint. He's no-selling punches and smack-talking the whole time. And he does these two huge Gorilla Press Sams that make Sting look like Rey Mysterio, to be honest. Makes him look like he weighs absolutely nothing. When Sting gets his head of steam, though, to make that babyface comeback, Vader sells. You know, Sting does this really cool front uh, rolling kick. And Vader looks like he's been shot. He doesn't make the baby face look bad. He's really good in this match at choosing when to no shell, no sell and show strength and when to pop the crowd, which I think is missed with a lot of people like Giant that we've covered in uh, this podcast so far. Crazy amount of heat, by the way. Crazy loud when Sting takes yes, over. Yes, the pop Sting gets like, here. This is definitely the height of sting's popularity even though he doesn't have the belts at this time like it's very clear who is the biggest property for them at that moment in time as soon as he takes over it's like the crowd's been shot awake and they're just like oh my god he's he's doing it he's doing it and then it's so well shut down by vader again to get back into the next segment like yeah i think there's just enough shine on every one of sting's uh crescendos here and Vader shuts them off and completely puts the crowd back on their arse for a while. I, I think his uh, storytelling with a lot of this and his taunting is what always stuck out to me. All the little things he does to people while he's doing these slams. So he does what I have noted down here is very disrespectful body slams. So he has them in a the scoop slam position and he kind of throws them away from his body, which is not the safest also, but it uh, looks great for TV. <laughs> That, that's a good summary of Vader's offense. Looks great. Not the safest. <laughs> yeah. So one of, uh, on one of uh, Sting's uh, shine moments, massive German suplex and following up with a clothesline to the outside. And I think this is one of the biggest pops from the crowd. Vader gets flustered and throws off his mask, starts talking to Harley, trying to get back into the match. 
Yeah, I actually love, sorry, I I really want to stop right here just because we haven't really talked about his mask. I mean, we talked about his unique look, but I think obviously his mask is like kind of what gives him that really kind of cool look because it's not a full mask. You can still see like most of his face. And I, I thought that was kind of like a nice touch. I don't know if that's like what it was intentional that it was kind of him taking it off his mask, kind of portraying weakness. At least that's what I got out of it. I don't know about you guys. Yeah, I was going to say it comes across very humanizing in that moment. He's like, okay, he is this big monster, but he's still just a guy. And it's somebody who can be beaten by Sting if he can do the right things. Yeah, what I like about the mask is that he's willing to take it off so often. And it happens a lot in his matches when he gets flustered. You know, he gets flustered, masks off, he's getting tired, which is a huge huge theme of this uh, match and a lot of his, that he's never going to be as physically uh, conditioned as the lighter baby face, so they can always beat him if they take the match along. And JR commentates on that a long time. So when he takes off the mask flustered, he looks flustered and getting tired. I think humanizing is a great word because you have guys like Kane and Mick Foley in the WWF, and they're very successful, but they're very gimmicky, where him just having a mask that he takes off and he doesn't care about makes him, yeah, a lot more human and normal. So when we're on the outside, Sting tries to follow up his big moments with a stinger splash onto the barricade, gets none of Vader. Vader slips back in the ring and Sting almost gets counted out. A massive amount of offense here by Vader, really grinding down the baby f- uh, face with his big splashes in the corner, brutal clotheslines. And we start getting one of my favorite uh, things about Vader and it's these big shots in the corner. What I love about Vader's punches, and it's controversial because they are very obviously stiff, is he doesn't move any other part of his body. He's genuinely just throwing jabs and punches. If you look closely, he's hitting them with the inside of his forearm. So it's not going to tickle. The man weighs a ton, but he's not really hitting them. But he's making it look like so much impact without moving the rest of his body. There's not a big stomp. He doesn't do huge loud shouts. It just looks so realistic. To quote another fabled legendary commentator, David Clubberham, boy. David (laughs) Clubberham. Yeah. (laughs) Also, at this stage, we're getting the methodical Vader pace, something else that's really noteworthy in his career. He does rest moves like everyone else, but instead of doing a lot of them, like some big guys have to do because of their cardio, he instead takes his time walking around the ring. And because he's such an intimidating figure, this doesn't make matches drag. He is busy imposing himself on the opposition. It's also different because a lot of other big guys like Giant comes to mind when we watch his matches. There's a lot of like leaning in the corner, choke spots, things like that. They're not lazy, but it just, yeah, it slows down the pace a lot. And for some reason here, it just, everything seems to make sense. And the match pace just doesn't seem like it's halted at any point. He has a much better handle on his character. Like he has a character which is probably more than Giant can say, really. <laughs> Sorry, Giant. To use Giant. him as an example. <laughs> I, hate, I hate to knock uh, uh, Paul for this, but like he was, he was fairly young at the time. But yeah, everything has a purpose, and it seems far more controlled, and like that there's an idea and where it's going, uh, and he doesn't waste his time. I think that's probably the bigger issue of it, is that he decides, okay, I'm going to do this, and then I'm going to fuck with the crowd. And they're going to react to this because I've just done this awesome thing on Sting and made him look like a complete peon. Uh, and then they're they're going to have their moment and then I'll move back onto him and then we'll go to the next block. And I'm not wasting time. They're not wasting time. You forget how, how quickly the match goes by because of it. One thing I like as well is uh, everyone botches. We don't talk about it too much in the cast, but there's a small botch here I just wanted to cover. 
After a running splash, Vader pulls Sting into a pin, but pulls him over too much, so before Sting kicks out, he accidentally rolls out of it. Vader curses himself and doesn't hide that he's made a mistake. JR also covers it well on uh, commentary by saying Vader has just made a mistake in a match opposed to botched a pin. And he just gets right back on the offense. It also kind of plays into the storyline a bit later with uh, how his splashes kind of land. So I like that. I like the kind of professionalism out of him there. I also like something that happens in this match for a comeback because usually in these situations, Sting will just come back into the match. He's the baby face. will get the big pops. He'll try and come back two or three times. He'll get stopped every time, and then he will come back. But when he does come back, Vader hits. Uh, Vader gets hit by a back uh, suplex at one stage. Vader just gets up first, which I think is kind of really cool. I don't know what you guys think of that spot. Yeah, no, I enjoyed it because, again, you got to call out Jesse and, and JR. They notice it, and they go like, yep, yeah, how demoralizing is this to feel that like you've just made this big spot and you're the second guy to get up? <laughs> So it, they play into it well, and it, it is it builds a bit more tension. It builds a bit more to their story because now you're like, oh my god, like he just did probably one of his bigger moves that he can he can call on, and he didn't even get up first. Yeah. So I've always hated a little bit the logic of wrestling that is, I've taken no damage for ten minutes. The face hits me with one suplex, and I have to act like he's done his finishing move. I don't like that. So I like that Vader's just like. Yeah, obviously I'd get back up from a suplex. I've been punching him from 10 minutes. That's stupid. Why would he get up first? And yeah, it builds a great story. Uh, eventually Sting starts to get uh, punch drunk. And as Vader gets tired, literally punching himself out in the corner, Sting gets his second wind and starts goading Vader on. Finally, after his comeback, big punch to Vader, getting him off his feet for the first time in about 10 minutes. He follows up with a weird Samoan drop and a big splash for off the top for a two count. Races up on the apron, and this lets Vader get the upper hand and hit a choke slam and goes for a second rope splash. The impact lets Vader bounce off him to the other side of the ring so he can't get the cover he usually goes for. He goes to the well again, this time going to the top rope, but Sting pops up and slams him from the top for the three count, and I thought a pretty cool finish. We're not exactly doing the match complete justice. I just really like this match for outlining a very typical vader versus lighter smaller face kind of match yeah it's not a great execution match ring wise like with the finish especially but it's just excellent storytelling all around is like there's always this fear of time that the commentary put over and that's kind of like how kind of sting finally gets this finish he's i just need to buy some time because we've both been wrestling a bunch of matches and then if i just keep buying time i'll eventually steal the match which he does so all around, just excellent storytelling, which is refreshing to see that what the commentators are portraying, the wrestlers also do the same thing. So great job. It's just all around professionally done match. Yeah, I'd agree with that. It's, it's really well done. I like I, I think uh, what I like the most about that finish is um, he gets beat clean, but it's still not decisive. Like he still looks good, even though he loses that match, because Sting doesn't really do anything clinical to beat him it's kind of like just happens to get there and he gets a bit lucky yeah we see vader popping up nearly immediately after the slam as well it's still a nice huge impact to pop off to for the crowd and i think it's executed also a common team of these vader matches both men look like a million bucks i think sting got away with something for the win but he still beat this huge guy that just shrugged off all this offense that would put away so many other wrestlers and vader only 
looks like he might have lost at points because he got a bit too cocky or he got a bit too tired or a bit unlucky, but looked like a monster in the meantime. These guys have great matches. At one stage, Vader breaks Sting's ribs. I think it's his ribs in the match. And even though Vader is pretty stiff with Sting, Sting, Sting knows the matches are so good that later on, when there's a vacated US title, and they just want to give it to Sting, I'm pretty sure it's a US title, he asks to fight Vader for it instead because they know they just have such good matches. Quick summary, guys. What do you think of his run in WCW or what you know of it? I know almost absolutely nothing. I've only seen bits of it. I've read some. Couldn't say that I was there when I wa- when I was watching it, though, because we never had access to WCW back then. It's mainly just what I've seen now nowadays as opposed to living it. Yeah, he was kind of there in the Bill Watts kind of downswing period, but he had some iconic matches and was honestly one of the best wrestlers in the world during his WCW, his early run. And it's a shame he wasn't there for the Monday Night Wars and, and kind of either promotion. Like he's barely there in WWF and just isn't enough, uh, isn't there enough to make an impact. But we'll go on to another era in Big Van Vader's wrestling career. And we're going to look a bit at his Japanese wrestling, more notably his match against Antonio Inoke in Wrestling World 1996. For those of you that don't know what Wrestling World is, that is Wrestle Kingdom. It is what a Wrestle Kingdom used to be called. It went through a couple different names, but it's their Tokyo Dome for the January show. This would be Vader's first match post-WCW when he gets fired for the uh, uh, Orndorff kind of situation. He beat Inoki eight years prior to this in his first uh, New Japan match. And Anoki at the time was on a four-year winning streak. This would cause a riot in the sumo hall, leading to New Japan being banned from running shows there for a couple of years, which I think is uh, absolutely bizarre if you know about Japanese fans who are usually very respectful and shows how much of an absolute megastar Anoki is. Yeah, is there a video of this? Because just hearing that, it, it makes me very skeptical. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's, I'd love I, to I, see that, yeah. I've only found anecdotal stories. Uh, mm, I think nice, it is in nice. Wikipedia and multiple mm. things, but it's also like stories from Vader and someone else. Sounds like a work to um, me then. It sounds <laughs> like, is, is Anoki one of the people that you've heard this from? <laughs> I don't <laughs> know. Chance? I don't know. I haven't seen the Anoki <laughs> interviews. This was during the UWFI invasion angle which is basically what the NWO angle was for WCW. While Vader, to my knowledge, wasn't part of this, he had left UWFI the year before, I want to say. He was their world champion before he left the promotion. So I don't think he's part of the angle, but it is just a funny tidbit. Is there a good way to describe Anoki in the context of how popular he is in Japan? If you imagine yeah. Jesus... With Japanese. <laughs> uh, the best I've ever, ever heard of how famous The Rock is now is how famous Anoki always was in Japan. Mm-hmm. I mean, I could tell by the crowd reaction, but yeah, just as far as just, I, I couldn't tell if it was just around this time or just his whole career or like how, how long was he around for? Uh, decades. Like 30, well, yeah, years. like he he's the one who started New Japan and that was in the 70s. And before that, he would have been trained by like, the most popular wrestler that ever existed, which is Ricky Dozan from Japan. Yeah. Uh, so like, he's one of the big students and it's like him and giant Baba would have gone on to make all Japan. And then Nanoki would have made new Japan. So yeah, they, they, they're basically like from a, a Royal line of wrestling and he's just on another planet. And obviously because he owns 
his own company, you can imagine exactly how he treats himself. <laughs> <laughs> he is just so freakishly over. The only person I've ever seen as over while still wrestling is Austin. The only like comparable kind of pops. And he's even better known than that, than Austin, I think, was at his height. He became a politician after his wrestling. I think he still is. He might have been a politician at this stage. I'm going to have to look that up while you're talking. Yeah. <laughs> That's okay. Yeah, but he is, it is almost unthinkable how over he is. I think his entrance shows it. One, he is the best entrance music of all time. It's insane. And for his entrance, because it's their big WrestleMania equivalent show, he has a harp player playing the start of his music. But wonderful idea. It's it was just, just baller. Like, yeah. full-on baller. And he has this, like, cool mist and light show, and the crowd go mental the second he shows his face on the stage. It is insane. Just so you know, he was a politician uh, just before this. So he just finished, like, six years as a can- in the Hall of Councillors, or House of Councillors, sorry. Yeah. And then All of Councillors! Uh, <laughs> and then he he had to leave following a number of scandals and uh, <laughs> Wikipedia does not go into details on those but I can only imagine uh, so he'd probably only just come back from that stage and okay. like re- return to wrestling man he, the dude's only 75 I thought he was older as well for He's whatever reason in his 50s for this match yeah. wow impressive the, yeah. yeah and he looks in insane shape he's in better shape in his 50s and probably now if we saw a picture of him than i'll ever be in my entire life yeah. the, the wikipedia photo they have of him which is from about five or six years ago it still looks like he could kick your ass dave <laughs> easy easy start start of the match vader shows some uh, respect for anoki he meets him on the ramp in his usual intimidating manner but instead of fighting him uh opens up the ropes for him after Taking a little bit of a spill, backing up into the ring. <laughs> well, he falls off the off the side. Yeah, with the crowd don't chant. They're so respectful. He's like, "Oh, poor Vader." Before the bell rings, Vader floors Anoki, wiping away the respect he showed him a bit early, and starts ragdolling him. I like that Vader speaks some Japanese here. Always uh, love that. And I have noted he makes some anime-style bad guy noises instead of his <laughs> usual grunts, which I think is fantastic. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's wow. the best thing about watching New Japan matches when we watch Americans in matches. They're they're just free to do whatever the fuck they want. As as I swear, it's, it's that's the thing I love about Jericho matches right now. It's just he'll oh, he's man, just swearing he's, up a storm yeah. and <laughs> giving middle fingers. I've gained new respect for the for the term fuck face thanks to him. Uh, <laughs> well one of the noises Vader makes in this match, uh if you've ever seen if you ever played a Street Fighter E Honda's uh, multi fist noise. Vader makes that noise multiple times in this match, and I think it's fantastic. He goes for a couple (laughs) early scoop strams, but gets stuck in a head scissors uh, from Anoki on the second attempt. Vader throws him to the outside, sending both men tumbling out. This match gets violent early. Vader drags Anoki to the table and slams him into it. It is, of course, a Japanese table, so it doesn't even butch. Vader then picks up the table in yeah. frustration and just throws it on top of Anoki hard twice. Vader rolls back into the ring when Anoki tries to get back in, clotheslines him hard to the apron. When Vader goes uh, goes to the well again, Anoki locks in the sleeper, which is one of his many finishers. Anoki has a couple. 
I've I've never seen such a reaction to a sleeper hold before. Oh my god, the like, crowd are so hot. <laughs> like as soon as he locked it in, I was like, "Well, this must be one of his moves." <laughs> like it, it's like we're in a different world because we're going from WCW like sleepers, guys in their fifties wrestling, and I'm just like, "What yeah. is this?" Is yeah, well, the, di- the difference here we are with guys in their fifties wrestling, and <laughs> it's very it's amazing. Different. <laughs> yeah. the, di- the difference is when Piper puts on the sleeper, his arm looks like a twig. When Anoki puts on the sleeper, his arm is bigger than Vader's head. It's insane. It looks like he's trying to pop Vader's head off. It looks great. Vader has to break it up with a thumb uh, to the eye, which the crowd are uh, disapproving of, I'll say. Back, uh, back in the ring, Vader goes for a powerbomb. Anoki powers out, but Vader hits a huge high-angle German on Anoki. And Anoki does the classic Japanese bump right on the back of the neck, and he oh, yeah. acts like he's dead. Holy acts- shit, that German suplex. Holy Such shit. a high angle. It is. He takes it like a man. Yeah. <laughs> Vader brings Anoki out to the ramp. If you haven't seen in a New Japan show, the ramp is connected to the ring. He slaps and taunts him, screaming some Japanese words again, tries to close on him, but gets big back body dropped into the ring. Anoki starts with his uh, classic moveset, big knee off the top rope to the head. Action goes to the outside, and Anoki brains Vader with a chair. Brutal chair shot. Busting him open. I am not sure if it's a blade. I think he just got hard weighed with the chair, to be honest. And Vader throws a tantrum at ringside, throwing around tables and chairs and tossing a chair right at Anoki's head and just about missing. It's it's brutal. I, at this point, though, it's really cool visual when you know Vader goes over the guardrail as well. The swarm of the photographers rushing over the wrestler, yeah. the wrestlers. It's something that I like really miss about current wrestling as well. It, it just makes it feel like a big deal. I just yeah. love it. And like, is that before, I can't remember if it's that one where like they're over the guardrail and then Vader has to like shove it away and he like he scares the reporters. Might not yeah. be the, that exact one, but no, it's, it's very one, similar. Yeah. Everybody's like, oh, stay, stay away from him. He could hurt you. Yeah. <laughs> Back in the ring and Vader is starting to look tired. The more fit Anoki kind of out grinding him. Anoki with strikes and he goes for the armbar. Another one of his finishes doesn't get it. Vader drags Anoki up and locks in a rear naked choke, which, again, is one of Anoki's finishes, Submission Man, as, as we can tell. And the crowd, again, very disapproving of the of the theft of the finish. Vader goes for a powerbomb. Anoki slips out. Anoki goes for an enziguri, which, again, if you don't know about Anoki, he basically made the enziguri. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, it was kind of cool. He hit like several, he hit like maybe two or three in the beginning. And this was the time like Vader finally, no, I'm not going to get hit by it this time. Yeah, he got popped by a couple of them really early in the match, which is a nice bit of storytelling. He hits a brutal looking elbow. You could really phone in an elbow drop, just like a standing one. Not Vader. Vader's got a hard away the elbow drop on the 50 year old man as well, on the 50 year old (laughs) politician. Another huge (laughs) slam by Vader. And he goes for a Vader bomb which still one of my favorite moves of all time. He hits it, and Anoki kicks out a two. Crowd going complete berserko, along and with the commentators. Let it be said, it's not like two and a half or two points out. It's two. Like, yeah. he full-on does two. <laughs> Vader then hits a Vader assault. Usually this is the time where the face dodges this and gets a roll-up or something, but just full-on hits the Vader assault, which still looks superb, and this is later on in uh, Vader's career. This probably gave me the favorite shot of the match. Just seeing how messy Anoki's hair is at this point. Yeah. It's just, it looks like he's been through hell. It was just an amazing visual. 
Yeah, no, Anoki looks like he's been drugged through uh, hell, and Vader's split open but still spitting fire. He hits a big splash in the corner, whips Anoki to the other corner, tries again, but Anoki moves and hits a big scoop slam. He then locks in the armbar, middle of the ring. Vader's trashing and screaming, but he has to submit it or his arm has to get snapped. And Anoki wins. I still like that it was a very fast, you know, you can't deal with Vader head on. You just got to slam him, grip on your submission and hope. After the match, uh, Vader shows respect, bows and shakes hands. Anoki gets handed a trophy. And for the life of me, I can't find what the trophy is for. Just don't know. Looked it up. Couldn't couldn't find it. So if you can, please. He just wants please to give himself out. something cool, I guess. Like, yeah. <laughs> but what I like is both men are selling the match. Anoki keeps falling to the floor. He might genuinely be concussed, I don't know, but he keeps falling to the floor. And Vader's holding his ribs and arm and like limping out of the ring. Yeah, both guys are bloody as we as we mentioned, but it's like not too bloody. Like sometimes in WWF matches, they're just like dripping pools of blood. This is just like little blood. You can just see it's a little cut. You can it just seems more painful. Yeah. Oh, I, I did forget to mention Anoki did get busted open at the middle of the match when they exchanged blows on the ground. And that was definitely hard way because you can tell by the positioning on his eyebrow. That's how you hard way someone on the eyebrow. You punch downwards on the eyebrow to split them. And Vader yeah, was supposed go. to be pretty good at that. I like this match because it was a bit different. Anoki maybe kicking out of a couple too many things, but Anoki's not the classic small guy. He's still very big himself. And when he needed to, he exchanged brutal offense with Vader while still being super athletic like he is. So I really enjoyed this match. Also, Anoki did look very strong, but Anoki made Vader in a sense. He was the one that lost to him in a couple seconds after that massive winning streak and made him in Japan. So I don't mind just kind of giving giving it back to him. The crowd makes this match. The, the, the match is so enjoyable just because the crowd is yeah. so into it. it. It's a lot of fun. The match is only 14 minutes as well. It flies by. And it's no bullshit finishes. This is typical like New Japan stuff. Just wrestle. You decide the match. We're not going to have run-ins or any kind of crap like that. It's just a mid-card match on Wrestling World as well. So just, yeah, this was probably my favorite match out of the three that we chose. Yeah, maybe you just want to instantly watch more Japanese matches with both these men, to be honest. Yeah, I quite enjoyed it. If there's one thing that annoys me, but it, it's just a, that's a general Japanese thing, is that like, maybe because I've watched too much American wrestling, is they don't really care when you do like table spots and chair shots. No. And I'm sitting there going, that's a DQ, guys. Like, what? <laughs> like, what's going on? I have um, to ask somebody if, if they're just, they just don't care about, or if it's just I, a rule that, like, oh, yeah, you can do that, matches. whatever. I think it's, it's because, like, they're bigger matches and they just, the explanation given is, like, we want to have a legitimate result. So they right. don't pay as much attention to it, I think, is how they kayfabe answer it anyway. Mm-hmm. But I, don't, I, I think they could do better on that. But other than that, it's, I really, really enjoyed it. Uh, it's loads of fun. I think to be fair, Dave, as well, to comment um, what you're saying about small guys, like Sting is not small either. No, no, that's fair. It's only really the last match where we have a guy who's much, much smaller than Vader in terms of height anyway, because Sting is basically the same same height as Anoki. That That is fair. Anoki just, I guess, looks a little more jacked, even though he's 50. And it is the way he's acting. Anoki's just a lot more stiff than uh, Sting. But yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right. I think it's a Anoki's body is more stretched out. It looks longer. Also fair. Also yeah. fair, yeah. But yeah, I think this, like how over he is, Anoki is also certainly way more over, but how over both these men are is what stirs up the crowd so much and how hated Vader is. Everything he does to Anoki gets a response from the crowd. 
speaks volumes for how over he was in Japan for his entire career. Yeah, it's really cool too. Vader's pretty much running the same gimmick. I know some guys have to pull a different gimmick out to kind of be that American heel, but not not Vader. Just it's going to run the same thing back. Don't need to do anything else. Yeah, Vader's a bit like Austin and stuff like that. Like he's so much of himself in his character. He only has to change tiny nuances of what he does to be a, a new character, essentially. So we've gone over two places where Vader got himself very over and was draped in gold. Now we get to go to a place where he didn't get so over and was draped in bad ideas. We got Vader versus Shawn Michaels, SummerSlam 1996. We got a recommendation from a listener to go for his own heart match, which I think is very good as well. But it's hard to talk about his WWF career without talking about this match. So Vader debuted in the Royal Rumble prior to this, where after eliminating some plebs, he would get knocked out by Michaels. He'd run back into the ring and destroy everyone, including Michaels. And in general, was booked like this, this unstoppable guy that was just massacring people when he got mad. He got suspended after attacking, I think it's Xavier Vega after a match, and Gorilla Monsoon when Monsoon came out to stop the attack he vader bombed gorilla monsoon which got him some real heat <laughs> some excellent mega heat jim Cornette would be his manager and would try and get him reinstalled into WWE. when he did come back he would feud with yokozuna Cornette's former client before attacking michaels after one of his matches vader would claim a win over michaels in a six-man tag match between him hart and the british bulldog and michaels vicious and Ahmed johnson this would lead to this title match. So very soon, Vader gets this big push. He's doing what Vader does best, unstoppable machine. Initially, he's booked very strongly in the WBF. I've noted here, I think what everyone's waiting for, what awesome music he has in the WBF. Just insane. We've talked about it already. Not even ruined by Jim Cornette. Yeah, I'm not a huge fan of Cornette. Are you, are you guys? I mean, maybe it's just this time. I mean, maybe watching them like in the old time, the old times. Uh, I don't know. He's... <laughs> The territory days, I should say. You You made it sound like it was before electricity or something. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not a fan of Cornette full stop because of his comments in public. But I think as a manager, he was fine. And as much flack as he uh, got, I think he did well in Smoky Mountain and stuff like that. I think he does a very, very good job at his character at this point in time because I hated him. Okay. That's that's probably what he was was going for. Um, For me, it's kind of like the Jimmy Hart thing. If you're not an old-time fan, like, oh, you should get this. I'm like, I don't understand the tennis racket thing. Well, yeah, why does he like, have a tennis racket? Yeah. Like, why is Jimmy Hart wearing all these like flamboyant jackets and the megaphone? I, like, what? What's the, I understand okay, it's, just, it's a thing. All right. Why Jimmy has a megaphone. Because Jimmy right. can shout at his clients. So at least you can go, okay, he's allowed to have that at the ring because he can shout at people. And then when people don't look, he hits them with it. Like, people know that Jim hits hits some with tennis rackets. Why is he allowed to have it at the ring? Just a weird Not- item to have. <laughs> it's just to have something relevant to hit people with, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's so um, weird. Just have a cane. All these other managers, like, uh, oh, who managed Yokozuna for years? Mr. Fuji. Fuji. Yeah, Mr. <laughs> yeah. Mr. Fuji would just have a cane or a flag. There's a reason to have that at the ring. It's just or lots of salt. <laughs> did you Did you listen to his promo? His, his pre-match promo? I didn't. <laughs> It's it doesn't he doesn't really talk a lot like Vader just stands in the background or foreground actually, but I have to give Cornette uh, a shout out for referencing Peter Frampton in in his promo randomly, in that that's how uh, Shawn Michaels's 
uh, vocal cords are going to sound is like the kazoo from Peter Frampton's Do You Feel? <laughs> I was like, who's going to get that? I mean, I can't believe I got it, but like... Who's that for? <laughs> Vader taunts around the ring before the match and he picks up the steel steps and just slams them. Those steel steps are not, they're not light. Michaels comes out with his manager, Yose uh, Lotario, which I completely for- who I completely forgot existed until this match. And he looks like a more glittery version of Rob Halford, is what I have noted here. For Ooh, I, I like that comparison. That's, that's yeah, very I'm, nice. I just went stripper vibe of the 90s. <laughs> yeah. Is now th- yeah, this is the boyhood dream, Sean Michaels. Yes. Boyhood dream who really wanted to be a Chippendale, apparently. It looks even worse, I think, because of how bland and dull Jose looks. Yeah, Jose looks like a fan's walked out of the crowd. Yeah. Just following Michael's <laughs> or it's like his yeah. dad has just appeared. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it, is, it is a very weird way of them trying to humanize Sean while not humanizing his character at all. So just keeping his character the same, but having an old man around, gotta, gotta relate to that. Uh, on commentary, we have Mr. Perfect, Vincent McMahon, and JR again. So decent, uh, it is JR, right? Yeah, it's JR. Yeah, it's it's weird. I've never heard Hennig commentary before. And yeah, obviously Vince is not good, but in a strange <laughs> way, I always enjoy it though. Because again, it's just the nostalgic factor of just, this is like the voice I grew up on. So I was like, oh. It's the like excitement, the eagerness with which he attacks the, the commentary. <laughs> he doesn't know the name of any move. He's but never it doesn't known matter. He's just so movie. eager. <laughs> it's so cartoonish. That's what. Yeah. That's how I can put it. That that is that period of wrestling, right? Right up until they go into the Attitude Era, it's so cartoony and it's so over the top in that sense. Like realistically, if he'd had his way, Vader probably would have been an actual mastodon. Mastodon, like <laughs> pretty like sure. It's that kind of mentality. So this matchup has a very similar story to Sting one, except instead of just like being valiant babyface, Michaels outsmarts and outspeeds Vader on the start of the match, hitting some nice. Frankensteiner's a really cool dive to the outside and it's all Michaels at the start of the match until a vicious powerbomb by Vader onto the outside takes the wind out of Sean's sails. Vader then carries him back into the ring on his shoulders and just kind of tosses him back into the ring from the apron which I thought looked really cool. Just to go back there Dave because you're kind of underselling it he takes a full-blown Hurricane Rana to sell for Michaels. Yeah. yeah. It's a big thing for a 400 plus pound man to be able to do like i know i know we say that he sells quite well for the previous matches but like he's doing a lot of work to put over michaels here yeah i was not i was not expecting this much yeah. offense from sean especially so quickly as well i mean not to undersell sean i mean sean is just he is phenomenal at, at this point in his career like this is why i got into wrestling was this kind of athleticism from him and brett yeah, it, it really is. And uh, I, I only saw Sean kind of on his return. I only saw him at the end of kind of this era of wrestling. But yeah, it's really impressive. He's just leaping around the ring while not like looking too silly doing it like some people do. Uh, you were talking about the Rana he hits. He also kind of does a reverse Rana to get Vader to the outside and then skins the cat back in, which one makes Sean, it just makes Sean look excellent. But again, that must be pretty hard for Vader to do. Basically throw himself outside the ring like that. Get some Irish whips into the corner, hard ones that Michaels sells and flips out of the ring. Every time Michaels goes for a bit of offense, Vader putting him right back down, including a vicious clothesline after Michael avoids a big splash in the corner. And when Michael skins the cat a second time, like he did earlier in the match, Vader just catches him and tosses him back into the ring. I thought that looked really good. 
My my other favorite part about going to this era of WWF too, just the impact and the sound of Sean doing the flare bump in the corner. Yeah. The way that the yeah. ring sounds at this point, it sounds so stiff and wooden. Yeah. Hart would also do the kind of the same spot. You would Irish whip Hart like really hard in the corner and he would just kind of go chest first into it. Yeah. Bump really hard. Which, just the sound. The, just like, the oh noise. Yeah. Oh. yeah. I can I can hear it like <laughs> you're saying it and I can hear it. Uh, it also it makes a similar noise when big guys hit the rope. You can hear the whoring shift. Now, next comes what this match is actually known for, which is a bit of a shame because it is just a pretty good match. But after a bit of a comeback, Vader is down and Michael goes to top rope for a big elbow. Michael lands on his feet right next to Vader, so for some reason doesn't drop the elbow, then stomps him in the head and starts fully cursing in his face. Just fuck you and stomping him really hard in the head. Now, for those of you that don't know the story, Vader has told it later, and he said he botched. What was supposed to happen here is Vader is supposed to roll once out of the way. Michaels is supposed to do his classic, miss the first elbow, but land on my feet, and drop an elbow, a standing elbow on the guy. So Vader messed up, but that's no excuse for stomping someone in the skull and breaking kayfabe in the middle of the ring. Michaels is excellent, but this is kind of why I dislike him at this uh, part of his career. That's why most people dislike yeah, him. Yeah, like, he's not a likable guy, certainly backstage at this point in time. How can you be when you're pulling, like, a full-blown hissy fit on pay-per-view in front of it's, everybody? The excuse is it's to, like, Vader was very stiff and he didn't like him anyway. But he did it to guys like Mick as well, who is the easiest guy to get along with, according to everyone else almost, you know? So... He's just a prima donna at this stage, unfortunately. Again, unfortunately, this match is pretty good, and it's kind of known for this botch. Michaels hits a standing crossbody, sending both men to the outside. While there, Vader does his military press to Michaels onto the barricade, which looks pretty painful. Michaels gets counted out by this, but here the shenanigans start. Cornet gets on the mic uh, and goads Michaels back into the ring. Michaels accepts after a while, going, yeah, yeah, restart the match. And Vader is right on top of him, just completely jumps on him. And I love the camera angle for this moment because we haven't seen Vader for about a minute. And out of nowhere, he just blindsides Michaels. I thought this was great. Jose uh, Otario, Michael's manager, tries to help him to his feet after getting jumped. This distracts the ref and lets Cornette get in some shots with that, you know, devastating tennis racket that he definitely needs by his side all the time. <laughs> Back in the ring, big splash into the corner and a belly-to-belly suplex gets a two-count for Vader. Michael reverses a powerbomb and hits a jumping clothesline. He kip-bups and hits the big elbow drop while he tunes up. Cornette grabs him and another distraction. As Michaels shakes off Cornette, he throws in the racket for Vader to use, but this backfires and Michaels goes to town on Vader and then Cornette. Cornette again gets the match restarted after Vader grabs a chair. Monsoon this time technically restarts it, but this time Michaels jumps on Vader, hitting a forearm and an elbow drop and a switching music. Vader kicks out a two, which I think makes him look pretty strong. I thought the match was over at this stage, that he was just kind of buried. Before you go any further, um, got to give credit to Cornette for his amazing sell job. But he gets beat up and he looks like a fish literally out of water as he's just getting <laughs> beaten all around the ring like a wuss. He, he is pretty much having a fit. I also like the kind of visual of Michaels with the tennis racket in hand and Vader with the chair. I wonder who's going to win in that <laughs> fight. It's kind of funny. I actually, I actually paused the match at this point because I thought it was done. Yeah, me too. I thought it was over. I'm like, <laughs> if, oh, this is how bad. If only. 
If only. Oh my god, this is where Vader buries him on uh, this is where Sean buries him. God damn. I'm like, oh no, he kicks up. Vader hits a power bomb while the ref is down, and another ref runs in to count and only gets a two. Vader sets up for a Vader bomb, where Kornak tells him to go higher and go for the moonsault. But Michael moves and climbs the top rope himself. When Vader gets to his feet, Michael hits a standing moonsault for the tree count. And I kind of like the finishing sequence for this. I do. I, they completely baited me with the sweet chin music and I thought it was over. So I kind of like how this match actually ended. Yeah, it's weird that Michaels would just go ballistic over over this match. Because, yeah, it was actually an enjoyable match. I mean, it's not like a perfect, awesome match, but it's definitely a, a worthy main event, though. Vader also made Michaels look really good. I think Gus made a really good point there. Michaels looked fantastic in this match. Yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a comparison you can make across the three matches in that um, the different types of babyface that he deals with, I think it's fair to say that chronologically, the easiest time he has is the first one. And then the other two get gradually more protected and less giving to Vader. I mean, particularly with this match, like Michaels just gets to do all his stuff and he doesn't really take a massive beating unlike Sting does who like spends the majority of his match on his back and clawing to victory whereas Michaels is like eh you know I'm fine I'll, I'll get up and I'll do my stuff and uh, yeah, he, he I'll takes cool like again. one big bump the yep. power bomb on the outside at the so, start and that's about it also I'd like to point out you know what we watched and the equivalent time what because this is 1996 and we'd started our our journey no, what was equipment? So, while this pay per view, this pay per view happened a week before Hog Wild. <laughs> oh, oh God! <laughs> yeah. So this is the equivalent main event to Hogan versus the Giant. This this Night is much better. <laughs> yeah, it's, it, I was like, oh my God, I can't believe this is the same to- same time. This did, I think, the lowest buy rates by the way over SummerSlam since uh, the network before the network. Sorry. So this shows how much NWO just changed everything. To be fair, the rest of the pay-per-view looks garbage. Well, the Mankind match is good, but yeah. Oh, I, mm, I think I disagree with you on that one. <laughs> I don't think it's traditionally good. It's like different is what I'll yeah. say. Um, it, it is bizarre that Stone Cold Yokozuna is on the pre-card. You know, Yokozuna was your main eventer just like less than a year ago and Stone Cold your open-comer. Why would that be on the pre-card? I think there's backstory to why. I can't remember what it was. Was to do with Sean. Uh. Speaking of backstories, the big thing we'll talk about, we'll talk about his WWF career just really briefly here because it's not much to talk about. We talk about how he was pushed big in a door and he was set up for this. The story is that this match is supposed to be a non-finish, essentially. That one of them is supposed to win through DQ. I think it's supposed to end with the tennis racket initially. Vader's supposed to win at Survivor Series... Uh, in the rematch, and then Sean's supposed to win it in his hometown at the Rumble, giving Boatman a pretty big rope and a pretty great storyline. Sean did not like working with Vader. He called Vader too stiff, uh, didn't make Sean look good enough, so he insisted on stop working with him, and instead we got Sean Sid, which was awful. And that's a shame, because I think these two actually work really well together, and their styles gel, and it's the perfect type of babyface for Vader to kind of fight. And then after this, it's Vader going downhill. He gets some matches with Undertaker and Mankind, which are decent, but you can tell there's no real intention for him besides making WWF guys look great. Later on in his career, Vader admits that he wished he had let McMahon change his character to the Mastodon and do whatever he wanted and be way more agreeable. 
because he just thought Vince had no interest in pushing someone that wasn't his own creation. Yeah, there's a lot to unwrap with this. I think it's important to mention, too, that he had a lot of injury problems at this point. And I mean, that's kind of his career as well. He's just an injury-prone guy. And it's hard for them to also push a guy that's also possibly going to be injured as well. Yeah, yeah, that's that's very fair. And as far as I know, they did the suspension angle because he needed uh, shoulder surgery. That That is fair to say that he maybe should have never been a world champion. But certainly after his feud with The Undertaker, he gets nothing but garbage at that point, to an extent where he has to demask in a match and call himself a piece of fat shit on camera to start a storyline which never evolves and he just gets fired soon after that. He wasn't really known for his attitude being great either, I don't think. so. No, he did robe certain people up the wrong way. Uh, he was certain polarizing where people like Mick thought it was funny and saw through a kind of tough facade. Other people took it to heart and didn't like him, including Orndorff and why he was fired from WCW, the story goes that he turned up late a lot. He was warned about it. That was fine. And he said he'd turn up on time more when he told someone in the office that he wouldn't be on time. Orndorff instead started an altercation with him because he was late and then they were fired. What happened in the altercation varies story to story. Orndorff says he knocked him the F out. Vader, of course, says he wasn't knocked out and that he just slipped in flip-flops. But yeah, <laughs> it is those kind of stories. Right, that, yeah, uh, which... Which I kind of want to get away from because it's it's hard to tell yeah, what, which of these yeah which yeah. of these stories are true because there's so many you know listening to the Bruce Pritchard podcast they they say a lot of stuff on that as well to know what what is actually happening who who knows I mean they they say they were concerned about his weight they wanted him to be the the guy that they saw in WCW in Japan which I, I guess I can I can understand they were con- more concerned about his well being as well so that that does make sense. Yeah, I I could see that. Like they they had already given Yokozuna warnings like that, and they, they they have a record of saying that to some very big wrestlers like uh, Rosie. I think Mark, uh, got Mark that Henry, Big yeah. Show. Yeah, I yeah. think it's fair to say to remember too. These guys are carnies, particularly this generation of guys, and oh, they yeah. care about visual and how people see them and how people hear about them. So it's it's not surprising. There's all kinds of hearsay going back and forth on this kind of yeah one hundred percent. I I think in general you could say you could see why at times maybe people didn't, he wrote people the wrong way. But it is a shame because the big thing about Vader, if you compare him to a lot of the other people on the card or even the the, the card in this this pay-per-view, he is not a cartoon. He is essentially the, the likes of what Brock Lesnar is nowadays. What's his gimmick? Well, his gimmick is he's huge, he's an athlete, and he'd snap you in half. You don't need more of a gimmick like that. You can give him nicknames like the Mastodon. You can put a bit of a mask on him, but he's just a really big guy that likes hurting people and he gets angry. Right. That's so. a great point. Yes. Having, having the manager, having the Paul Heyman, and he's just in the background looking mean, flexing. I, I like how uh, Vader, he's he does this throughout his career. I noticed in a bunch of matches that he, he tries to flex and uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he has that, he never lost his uh, offensive lineman physique. Right. You can tell he's really muscular. But you can also tell there's a ton of fat rolled over the top. And it's it's a weird kind of uh, visual, but I don't know. He's almost one of a kind. There's so many big guys that aren't able to replicate that kind of demeanor and that like attitude he brought. And he would have been such a big part of the attitude era if he, I think, was pushed or like he could have stayed healthy a See, bit it's, longer. <laughs> it's really funny. I was going to say the opposite. I'm not sure he would have fit in at all. No? I, I don't think he had the ability to 
do that kind of stuff not from a wrestling perspective it's just how different the the way they treated segments and angles and stuff and i don't i don't think he was uh had a wide range of personality to do it i think he would have been locked in very quickly he would have been very like steve blackman or dan severin and he would just would have been too serious for what was going on right i think some of that happened as well although it's hard to tell because he was just near the end of his career anyways but yeah yeah, when he when he's doing stuff with gold dust you can't take that shit seriously. I maybe that's probably part of the problem with the Goldust character at the time because the Goldust character was just so ridiculous yeah, at the things he was time. doing. Yeah. So yeah, I, I I agree and disagree. It it is just sad to see him not getting any kind of rub in the WWE, and you can see that they had big things planned for him, and they just kind of went so fast. I would have expected him to slip down to maybe Intercontinental Title picture or be put in a tag team and hold the tag team uh, belts for a while to disguise his aging and his weaknesses but they just had no interest after this yeah like a a bigger thing for that kind of time period dave and obviously it's it's disappeared for the most part nowadays because he just runs things differently but if you were if you were an intercontinental champion it was that's because he wanted you to be world champ and he was testing you trying you out and seeing how things went so i couldn't really see him going back in that kind of sense if if he's there that was because they had plans for him like I don't think they would have just lifted him into that spot. Look at all the Intercontinental Champions they had. The vast, vast majority of them ended up being world champions. To be fair, even people like, say, Scott Hall, who didn't get there, I think if he'd stayed, he probably would have been one. Yeah, okay, that that, that is a fair comment. It, it just seems wasteful altogether. Sure. I mean, it, it is, again, like Connor says, like it is towards the end of his career, so in terms of his bigger stuff so it's it's kind of hard to say what he could have done maybe they could maybe they couldn't have trusted him because of his injuries like i'm assuming he's constantly injured because every wrestler is yeah the aj styles quote from recently uh someone interviewed him he's like oh we hear you're working hurt he's like yeah like oh you injured no no no, i'm working hurt what's the difference like well everyone's working hurt i don't need anything done i just i can't stop working yeah, yeah, I can I can agree with that, and I, I can see that it's not completely straightforward. I do hate Sean a bit because I think the initial plan of kind of slingshotting the belt between him and Sean to get Sean over that way sounded great. I think that was a great way to book him. Yeah, it's it's always hard to tell with hindsight as well. It yeah. sounds great to us thinking back to it, but of course, it's hard to tell back in the day. You know, we always have like these what, like what if scenarios type thing. Like, oh man, they could have done this so much better here and some companies just they just don't gel with or certain talents don't gel with certain talents yeah and we'll see that when like bret hart comes into wcw it's like oh you think it's gonna be such big things for him and they just don't know what to do with him really yeah. I, I i'm not sure if wwf didn't know what to do with him because they they were obviously really high on him but yeah it just like once he kind of misstepped it's like oh what do we do with him now so there was a little bit of that like it could easily be a, a case of he's doing house shows and people just aren't reacting to him. We're we're watching it from a snapshot perspective of like just pay per views and some raws or whatever. Like maybe week in week out he's just not doing what they expected him to do. For all we know, he could have been just dogging it in house show matches because he's hurt and he's like, I have to save myself for pay per views or for big shows. Totally the legitimate way of going about things, but probably not what Vince wants. It could have been bigger, probably, but there's probably factors. And like Connor said, it's we're looking back in hindsight. 
But at the same time, I don't think he, I don't feel too bad that he didn't have the amazing run in WWF because I still think it's a Hall of Fame career. He, he's he's not in the Hall of Fame right now, right? No, he's not. No, that was yeah, uh, which is, that's a shame. It's a big argument to maybe there's still someone that dislikes him backstage. I don't know why. Like he was in very ailing, uh, ailing health for a year. I mean, it's, I don't know why they couldn't have just put him in the Hall of Fame when he was alive to enjoy it. It's an arbitrary Hall of Fame. If if you looked at it in isolation, would you just put him in just for WWF? Um, yeah. I, I think he's so memorable. He's so iconic. Maybe, but only being there for a year probably disqualifies him. I think you could very easily argue that he's not there long enough for him to put it in. Maybe like Vince can do whatever he wants. So. Like, he, he has yeah. lots of people in that were never in WWF, so it's not like you just go, oh, well, you put those guys in, why don't you do? And he's like, well, you know, I don't don't see him that way. So yeah. I could very for, easily for sure, see him I, never I told- going in, to be honest. Yeah, same. But yeah, if you're going to ask me a question, is this a Hall of Fame career when I look back at it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. This oh, is- if, if you take it all, I think, yeah, I, I think so. Particularly, um, particularly his early WCW stuff. Where do you think he rates super heavyweights of all time? Do you think he's number one? Do you think there's someone beating him? Yeah, I was thinking about that. Definitely top five, yeah. no question. Top three, I would say yes. I'm trying to think of other guys that would surpass him. Andre's definitely Andre is the only one Andre, I can think of. Right. Yeah. What, what do you classify as super heavyweight? I know it sounds weird. I think they need to be kind of fat. I think it's hard to just say Taker. Yeah, that's, I think Taker that's why I was asking. Because I was like, is Taker in this or not? Because... That changes things. No, I think we're looking at like Yokozuna, right. Andre, Bill, Big Bill Haystacks, so, uh, uh, King Kong, Bundy, whatever. Yeah, Bam Bam, yeah. yeah, Bam Bam. They that's actually probably we probably pretty much named the top five five there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. personally, because I like the, his move set so much, I'm going to be biased of putting him one or two. I mean, for a big man to do a moonsault yeah. like he did, yeah. that to me that is just impressive, and it just made him so unique him and to a slightly lesser extent bam bam have completely influenced the way heavier set guys wrestle for the rest of time they yeah. have to have that little bit of agileness or they're just boring and if you see big big overweight guys now wrestling and they don't have that little bit of edge to their move set you fall asleep it's not the same we can't watch big guys anymore the way we used to yeah that's probably a, a flaw of kayfabe or whatever uh disappearing <laughs> yeah. but I, i'd be pretty comfortable putting him too i think it's it's very hard to top andre in fairness <laughs> yeah no andre is like, beyond wrestling but that, that's just one of the very very good company to be in yeah being only beaten by andre and your kind of division is huge yeah. and considering he didn't have a good run with the main company and it's not like he was in wcw in their heyday i think it's really impressive how known and over and how influential he is like there's yep. only a handful of wrestlers that aren't on one of the big main stages and their big moments that are as known as Vader and he has this lasting influence. He had a very, very unique look. That that and as we talked about earlier, I mean he had crossover promotions yeah. with media, television and movie or not movies. Crossover promotion with, with television. And I thought he was pretty successful at it too. So I, I, I you can't underrate that either. I wanted to tell one quick Vader story before we sign off. And I think it's proof how much he learned to uh, love the industry and how old school he was, even though he came from a different background. And that's the Good Morning Kuwait story. So when WWE are over in Kuwait and he's fighting, I think, Undertaker, they're interviewing Taker. And apparently it's set up in the end or it was supposed to be a bit of a gag. 
the presenter is, you know, asking questions about wrestling and uh, saying it's essentially fake. And Vader's in the interview as well. And he just grabs the interviewer and, like, reefs his, like, shirt and is like, does this feel real to you? Does this feel real to you? He went to jail for that. <laughs> it's, like, funny to watch back in YouTube comments. But to save kayfabe, Vader went to jail in Kuwait. Everyone else flew home. Vader stayed in jail in Kuwait. Vince on commentary for a Raw referred to him as our man in Kuwait. <laughs> I didn't know that. That's, that's pretty good. <laughs> roughed up a person for insinuating that wrestling wasn't real and then stayed, <laughs> stayed in jail in a, a country that maybe wasn't too safe for him to be in. I think my favorite thing that I remember, probably because it's kind of wrestle crappy, is the, the video they did. With the boats and all, like way too much money. Yeah, I, um, yeah, we forgot to bring that up. Yeah, he was in. Was it? Was he in all of them or just one of the WCW like mini movies? I, uh, he was the in the main WCW one anyway. One. I think the one with the, the mm-hmm. castle of. If you've never seen it, oh, it's just incredible. I'm, I'm trying to formulate sentences to describe it. It isn't describable. Is it the castle of fear? Yeah, castle of fear sounds it? right, but it was for like Bash of the Beach or something, and so it's like. Sting and his part is a Cactus Jack as his partner. I think so. And they're like on the beach just chilling out, and then Vader and whoever else are like decide to attack them with a speedboat. <laughs> Vader's White Castle of Fear. Sure, so okay. it's for at Super Brawl Tree. Yeah, okay. it's Vader's White Castle of Fear. They spent so much money on on this promo as well. Well, I could reminisce about the big man all day. The man they called Vader, the Mastodon, the big band Vader. But we gotta wrap this up. That's us for another edition of the WCW versus NWO podcast. Follow us on social media. We're mostly on Twitter. That's where you uh, answered the question, which Vader match would you like us to cover? Connor, where else can they find us on social media? Well, you can check us out on Instagram where I'll be posting some of my favorite Vader moments, maybe even some Boy Meets World moments. Now now that I've been reminiscing about it, I might have to go back and uh, post some of my favorite uh, Frankie's. It was a Frankie Stacchino, I think it was his name. Yeah. yeah. I like the neighbor, uh, Mr. Feeny. Mr. Feeny uh, was my favorite. Oh, I, oh, I hate that, Mr. Feeny. Uh, yeah, so I'll, I'll definitely be uh, that, that German suplex from the Amnoki match. I'm definitely posting that one. Awesome stuff from that match. Uh, other places you can check us out uh, Facebook we post a little bit on there you can like us on Facebook and Vimeo where we sometimes do video bonus episodes hoping to do more content on there all of them at the handle WCW versus NWO podcast thanks for joining us from me Connor and Gus join us next time Now, Frankie, I accept the fact that you don't want to be a wrestler like your pappy. I'm just happy to come down here to watch you work out. Hey, I got a shot at the belt. And I've been working on this new move. It's called the Fader Salt. Could I see it? <laughs> of course you can. Yeah. You know, Corey, when we dance close like this and you're holding me, I feel safe. Like, nothing could ever happen to me. Topanga, I would never let anything happen to you. Uh, move one step to your left. Yeah! All right, Dad! Yeah, son!